0: Let me invite you this morning to just pause and reflect on this question. If you could change one thing about yourself, just one thing, what would that be? If you could change one thing about your family, what would that be? If you could change one thing about your church, what would that be? There was a recent study done on online dating profiles. Of course, you can change. You can be anybody you want to be online. And what the study showed was that men change two things about themselves online very often. (laughs) And the interesting thing is that they found that women looked at these two things At the very first, as soon as they log on and they look on profiles, these were the two things that women looked at when they were looking at men's profiles. Which means, women, men know what you're up to. And here's the two things that men change, overwhelmingly. One, their height. On average, men claim to be an inch taller than they actually were. And the second thing, I'm sure you can, guys, I'm sure you can guess, the second thing men lied about, they change, their income. Men changed their income. And as I reflect on where we are as a country, and I read the news, maybe some of you are news junkies like I am, I can think of a lot more urgent change that needs to happen. Greater, more serious change in our country. And I'm talking about the integrity of our political leaders on both sides. Change needs to happen. I'm talking about the public discourse on race. I think change needs to happen. I'm thinking about the moral character of our entertainment industry. Change needs to happen. And I think it's very easy for us to look at everybody else and think, I know how they need to change. It's obvious. But probably the most pressing, most urgent thing for those of us that have experienced life change in Jesus Christ is the change that needs to happen in us. And it's much harder to think, what do I need to change in my life? How does my family need to change? How does my church need to change? And so this morning, I just wanna focus for a couple minutes on Paul's letter to the Romans because what was happening in Romans chapter 12 is this. The church in Rome had grown, and as the Gentiles converted to Christianity, there was this argument, there was this battle, and this was the basic battle. Some of the Jewish Christians believed that Gentiles, when they converted to Christianity, needed to become Jews, and they need to follow Jewish law and Jewish tradition. And some believe, no, they've become Christians the change that they need to have is not to become Jewish. And so this battle ensued. And so in Romans chapter 12, if you'll turn with me, let's read and let's look at three things, three practical pieces of advice that Paul's give, Paul gives to the Roman church about who they should be now that they've experienced life change in Jesus Christ. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 8. Therefore... If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then encourage. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And if I were to sum up this chunk of passage, the instructions that Paul gives to the Roman church, it would be this. God is more interested in your surrender than he is your success. And in today's world, that's not a message you're going to hear. If you're taking an MBA class or you're going through a leadership program, you're not going to hear that God or anybody is interested in your surrender. We live in a success Goal oriented society. And so, what Paul says to them look, now that you know Christ, the transformation that needs to happen is not success, it is surrender. And I believe the application for here, for us here, is this be generous with your service. Be generous with your service. That is a simple message in this chunk. Historians tell us what happens in the Roman church. In about the second and third century, in the Roman church, there came devastating plagues. And what would happen when a plague came through a big town like Rome or Antioch or some other place is at first people would start throwing out their relatives on the streets that had the plague because they were so afraid of being infected. Their own relatives, before they even died, they would just throw them out on the street. And when the plague got bad enough, they would just run for the hills, run to the countryside and leave everybody else with the plague in town. And historians document that in the 3rd century, 2nd and 3rd century, in Rome, when the plagues came through, and all the pagans started to throw their own relatives out on the streets or run for the hills. It was the Christians that went into the streets and took people that had the plague and looked out for them and took care of them and fed them. This is the legacy of the Roman church, taking care of people. And I I love Whitney's example. I love Whitney's video on the George Flattery School because here's the deal. When there is a natural disaster, when there's something like Katrina and when we give our money, we take our time and we serve somebody else, you know what the world does? The world looks at us and you know what the world calls us? The world calls us Americans. Something bad happens in America and we serve and we give our money, the rest of the world looks at us and says, you're Americans. But when we take our time, or money, and we send it all the way to Senegal to a group of people that will never serve us, that will never give us a dime, that will never do anything for us. What do you call people like that? Christians. And I can only imagine somebody in a hut. It's a Muslim man in Senegal and he's probably got two or three wives. And he's got three or four kids and a couple of them are girls and there's very little hope for these girls. that, you know, there's very few options for schooling. And what does he do? What does he think about these people that will say, I will, take for you, I will take your girl and we will send her to school, we will educate her, we will give her a shot at life. What do you say, what do you think if you are that Muslim man? You think, who are these people? And so, be generous with your service. I love this quote by an English bishop, William Temple. His summary is this. The church is a society which only lives when it dies, only grows when it gives its heart away. It is the only society in the world which exists for the benefit of those that are not its members. It is the only society in the world which exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. Be generous with your service. Let's look at the next section. Romans 12, verse 9 to 13. Paul says this to the Roman church. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, Faithful in prayer, share the Lord's people that are in need. Practice hospitality. And my summary for this section is simply this. Your generosity will be accepted long before your theology. If you've been around for a year, you've been hearing us talking about reaching out to your neighbors, reaching out to your coworkers. And maybe you're like me and you're thinking, where do I start? How do I start telling people about Jesus? They're not interested. They have busy lives. Let me give you a place to start. Your generosity will be accepted long before your theology. And here's the application. We need to start to be generous with our resources. Be generous with your resources. There's another historical story about the church in Rome, and about 2nd to 3rd century as well, the last pagan Roman emperor was Julian the Apostate. And Julian had seen Christianity persecuted and spread, and Christianity was on wildfire, and, and Julian was a pagan, and he loved the pagan religion at the time, because pagan religion included emperor worship, and he happened to be the emperor. So he thought, I've got to get this pagan worship. I've got to, to stump down Christianity, and I've got to get the pagan religion going again in Rome. And what historians document is this interesting letter that he writes to a pagan priest. And, and here's what he's, he writes to the pagan priest. He's complaining to the priest, and here's what he writes about the Roman Christians. When it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests... Then, I think the impious Galileans, or the Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. So the Christians at the time in the second and third century were competing against the entire Roman welfare system. The Christians outgave and took care of people better than the entire Roman welfare system. That is the legacy of the Roman Church. Last month we got invited, my wife and I, to a birthday party by a couple Chris and Brandy. Chris and Brandy moved here about six months ago. They're in California. They moved from California. They're there for Thanksgiving so I can tell a story without them. (laughs) And they found a house in Fairport. So they've been there for about five or so months. They invited us to a birthday party. So I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, so we go along, we drive to Fairport. we show up, there's this huge bounceabout on the lawn, and there's just kids everywhere, bouncing all over the place outside, it's a little bit chilly, everybody's going crazy, and I look and I notice there are really only two families from Browncroft, two or three families, and the majority of the people that were there, I didn't know. So as I walk up the driveway and my kids run off to the bounceabout, I see one of my co-workers. I've known him for about, I don't know, eight or nine years. And I say hi to him, and I said, wow, you know, how long have you lived here? And I go, well, I live right there, three doors down. And I've lived there for about three years. And I go, wow, interesting, who are all these people? And I go, oh, these are all neighbors, you know, this guy has three kids over there, this one has two, these guys. So the majority of people are right from the block. And he makes this interesting comment. He goes, before Chris and Brandy came, we didn't know each other. We've been here for years. I didn't know that guy, I didn't know that guy, kids. Until Chris and Brandy came here five months ago, we didn't know anybody. And I listened to Chris and Brandy, and, and during the birthday party, Brandy said at one point to a mom, hey, anytime you want to just drop off your kid for a play date, go ahead and do it. And Chris said another time, while another guy was there here, anytime if you need me to take your kid off the bus, I'll do it. And they're there serving their community with their resources. And you know for us as Americans I think that our single biggest asset is unused. It's your home. Your home is unused. And I want you to think of this. Invite your neighbors. Invite your coworkers over for dinner. Use your home as a gathering place. You want to jump into the deep end of the, of the pool? Think about foster care think about adoption. If any group of people should care more than anybody else about those kids, it should be Christians. So be generous with your resources. Let's look at the last section of Romans, and perhaps the most difficult, starting at verse 14, moving on to verse 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. But if it is possible... good. And I believe the application here is this, be generous with your respect. And I suspect if you're like me, this is going to be the hardest one. Because giving up your time, we could do that. Giving up your resources or your money, opening up your home, we could do that. But giving up your respect is hard. Because for most of us, our enemy is simply somebody with a different point of view. We don't have armies attacking our nation right now. We don't have people coming in to conquer us, but we do have enemies emotionally. Our enemies are simply people with a different point of view. In the first century, there were different classes of people. Let me explain the first class would probably be a Jew that everybody would recognize. And a Jew was not just somebody from the line of Abraham. A Jew was the faithful remnant from the line of Abraham, possibly somebody from the tribe of Judah and they had not intermarried. They continued to follow the laws and customs that were given to them and they saw themselves as distinct and special. They were not like everybody else. So the first class of people probably visible were Jews. The second set Gentiles. Simply, if you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. Maybe you were a Roman noble. Maybe you were something else, somebody else from another nation. But as long, if you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. Another class, women. And in the first and second century, women, there was property, and there was women probably here or here sometimes. Both Jewish and Roman culture, disregarded women. And in both cases, some of you know this, the the prayer that a Jewish man prayed every single day ended with the statement, thank God I'm not a woman. And there was another class of person, men, and they were slaves. And slaves in this context were not probably the idea that you have in your mind. Let me explain. A a rich middle-class man today could become a slave tomorrow. All it took is a bankrupt business and you became a slave. All it took was some other country to invade your country. You might have been a noble, you might have been a prince, and tomorrow, after the country has invaded and taken over, you're now a slave. And another class was a freed person. So a Jew, a gentile, a woman, a slave, and maybe a free person. Now what's interesting is, in early times, in the ancient times, Probably the only place that you would ever find all of these people in one house, eating a meal, talking together, was in a Christian home. These people did not associate at all with each other. There's no way you would ever see those group of people together. And there's, In the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 26, there's this really interesting statement. It says this about the church in Antioch. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And when I read that, I think, why is that? Of all the churches, you have a church in Rome, you have a church in Jerusalem. Antioch, which is almost like a New York City, it's a melting pot. Why is it they're first called Christians in Antioch? And here's what I think. Antioch was the first place where the gospel was preached to Christians. Gentiles. It wasn't, they did not go to a synagogue and preach to Jews. They just went out and they just started preaching to people that had no connection with Judaism. And so if you look in Acts chapter 13, you'll see who the leaders of the Antioch church are. And it reflects that. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And there was, the, here's the first leader, Barnabas who was a Hellenistic Jew from Cyprus. Then there was Simeon from Niger, a Saharan African country, still around today, that region of the world. There was Lucius from Cyrene, North African country. There was Manan, who was a Greek from Palestine. He was a foster brother brother of Herod the Tetrarch. And then there was Saul, later who becomes Paul of Tarsus, who was a Hebraic Jew. So you can see the leadership structure of the church in Antioch was so different and so diverse. We can only imagine what the congregation looks like. And so when you look at that church, you could not call them Jews. So what do you call them? They were called little Christs or Christians because what they did is they listened to what Jesus Christ said and they did what he told them to do they had experienced life change in Christ, and they lived it out. And there was nothing else you could call them but Christians. And so we need to learn to be generous with our respect. To be generous to people with a different point of view. Many of you have heard this. I've told a story a couple times Well, I grew up in Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica, sometimes called a Concrete Jungle. And when I was in youth group, probably in middle school, where I lived was a suburban middle class, I would say, neighborhood. And in Jamaica, almost every middle class suburban neighborhood has another neighborhood that's right beside it. And this neighborhood is typically a poorer neighborhood. And the houses are not really houses. It's just zinc put together, and the electricity is simply somebody that climbed up on a pole and hooked up the wire lines. And everybody's got some kind of bootleg satellite dish. And so we had one of those communities beside the one that I had. So growing up, when I was in middle school, my church decided that it would reach out to this neighborhood. And the parents and the families and even us that were in youth group, we started going there. We started reaching out to people. We'd show films. We'd do all sorts of things. And then soon, some of the kids from this neighborhood started coming to our youth group. So now you have this mix of kids. And there was this one brother combination in particular. And these two guys had no parents. They lived on their own. i have never heard what happened to their parents, but they were just young guys my age that lived on their own. And they showed up, and the younger brother... I have no idea what his real name is, but he was so skinny that we called him Chicken. And that was the only name I knew of him. He was so skinny, we called him Chicken. And he had an older brother. And so slowly they started coming to church on a Sunday morning, not just youth group, they'd come to youth camp and they were around. And when Chicken was 13, his story started to get worse, it started to turn even worse. And Chicken's older brother, he lost his older brother to violence. And at that point, he had had enough, and he was scared. And a couple from our church, in particular, one of the older ladies who had older kids than he, had adopted two of them, in fact, had adopted two kids, saw Chicken and took Chicken and paid for Chicken to live in an apartment in our community. And there was a lady at church that had two or three apartments where students would live and go to university, She paid for Chicken to go, and from he was 13 years old, he moved into this apartment, and she started to pay his rent. And then she started to look at him at school and started to invest in his education. And she made sure that he made it all the way up. And when he was finished with high school, he got into university, he got into business school. And so I'm growing up, and Chicken is growing up, and I'm watching him, and I leave, and I went to school at RIT, Chicken goes to business school in Jamaica. And he does very well. And this woman is still investing in him. She's actually paying his apartment. Now she's paying for his tuition at school. She's paying for everything. And before he graduates in his last semester, he gets a job at one of the top insurance companies in Jamaica. And so before he graduates, he's got a job. And on his graduation night, this woman, who's now very old. Her kids are long gone, living on their own, doing well. She goes to his graduation and she watches him graduate and she knows where he's going next. And that night she goes home and she passes away. She had literally stayed alive to live out the gospel and to be generous. And when she saw him graduate, her job was done. She had stayed alive just so she could do that happen. And this is is how I would summarize this entire chapter of Romans. It is the gospel, not guilt, that motivates radical Christian giving. It is the gospel, not guilt, not pity, that motivates radical Christian giving. And we could have picked another passage from the New Testament, James or Timothy or something else. And we could have talked about generosity this morning. And if we did that, you might have mistaken this message to be a message about being good or doing good. But this is not a message about being good. This is actually a message about the gospel and what happens when you live out the gospel. And perhaps if you're like me, your biggest reservation to being generous Is this people do not deserve my generosity there are some poor that do not deserve my money there are some people that do not deserve my service there are some people at work or wherever that do not deserve my respect but consider this in Romans it says but God demonstrates his own love for us while we were yet sinners Christ died so let me close and let me ask you the same question that we opened up with if you could change one thing about your life what would it be? If you could change one thing about your family, what would it be? If you could change one thing about your church, what would it be? Let me suggest a good starting point is radical generosity. That is the one thing I believe we as Christians should be known for. Let's pray. And let me send you off with a blessing. Lord Jesus, we confess to you this morning that what we see in our world and what we believe most often is that what is mine is mine. But what you've said in Romans is what's mine is yours. And Lord, help us to change our mindset, help us to be transformed. Help us to learn from Paul's letters and his encouragement. Help us to learn from those that have gone before us and have lived out the gospel in a radical way and have become radical with their generosity. Help us, Lord, as individuals, as work, to be known for our generosity. Help us as families in our neighborhoods to be known as that couple, that family, on the corner or in the middle, that gives and loves and helps people. Help us, Lord, as a church to be known as that church that is radically generous. And even though people may not believe what we believe, they may not like where we are, they may not like what we do, they may not like how we worship, they would respect and like our generosity. And that would be the open door for them. And so, Lord, we are humbled by your encouragement and by your gospel. And we just confess to you that this is hard. Would you help us to live out the gospel in a real way? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Since God has given, been so generous and gracious to us, may we share what we have been given with those in need. May our lives be marked by compassion and our striving to make God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May God's ever-present spirit encourage and strengthen us as we act as God's Hands and feet in the world. Have a great Sunday, guys.